babes how are you doing i love how when i go through my stages of my period i can literally feel my hormones like come and go and i'm currently ovulating this is so like random <laughs> and a weird way to start my podcast but it's so funny because i woke up this morning and i was literally like dead to the world i was like i don't want to get up i don't want to work out like i just want to sleep and do nothing and then i went to orange theory and we had a 200 meter bench row and it was just a chill workout like i was a rower in high school so not to brag or anything but 200 meters for me is just like a breeze so i was like ah this won't even be hard so whatever did the 200 meter bench row and then um it was just a chill workout it was exactly what i needed it's funny how like the world and just life in general will bring exactly what you need to you and it's like you're always trying to make sure you live this perfect life and make sure you make all these right decisions when sometimes you can literally just sit back and life will do it for you and good things will come for you and that's kind of how I'm feeling today and now I went home and I can feel my hormones because I was normally for breakfast I'm not like super super hungry but today I was like "Ooh, girl let's have a fucking that was not English Let's have a freaking meal. And then I had some scrambled eggs and I put a little bit of romaine cheese in them. Or parmesan. Romaine cheese. Lettuce and cheese, Lauren. Two separate things. <laughs> oh, God. It's been a morning. Um, I put some parmigiano cheese in my eggs. And I had a rice cake with almond butter and raspberries and raw cacao nibs and a little bit of agave. And let me tell you, that shit freaking slapped. It was so good. I'm trying to not swear as much. That's not a resolution. I just have a really bad potty mouth. So if you don't like it, I'm very sorry. I don't mean to offend. I just happen to swear a lot. But anyways, it's funny because I woke up and I was not feeling great. And now I have so much energy. Oh, maybe it's because I just drank tea. I just had black tea and I have to get the name of the brand because the name of the brand that I have is literally the best black tea in the world. I'm a tea snob. So... When I tell you it's the best black tea in the world, I am not lying. Okay, I'm going on such a tangent. So maybe we should actually, like, move on to celiac-related content. Or maybe not. Do you guys enjoy me, my rambling? Probably not. Okay, let's let's move on, Lauren. Actually, before I move on, I know some of you have, like, you know, followed my life through Instagram and TikTok and everything. And I know I have been going through, like, a rough period of, like just not knowing like what step to take in my career and whatever and as I just mentioned I lately have just been kind of letting life lead me because I don't have a job right now I'm just kind of taking everything day by day I grind really hard I'd say like yesterday I worked from 8 a.m to 9 p.m at night and I know when you put in the hard work and dedication good things will come and I did get a freelancing job so Like, right now, I actually just started my own freelancing social media business. I don't even know what's happening. I just, I was like, I guess. Like, so I actually went um, to this place to get a waitressing position. And then they asked me about my marketing background. And they were like, oh, wait, we want you to do our marketing. And I was like, I guess I can do that because, I mean, that is my expertise. And they're like, yeah, really? Like, we don't want you waitressing. Like, we want your marketing skills. So then I got a freelance job. And then... You know, I had to write up a business proposal and everything. Um, So now I have my own social media business called Let's Get Social. Interesting, right? I wasn't expecting that one either. But, I mean, it makes sense. I I just have such an entrepreneurial, like, spirit and 
I've always been so motivated to work for myself, even in college. Like, I was so dedicated to school and making sure that I did well, literally just for me. Um, like, my goal when I started freshman year of college was to get a 4.0. And I truly didn't think I was going to be able to do it because, I mean, my school was, like, not... It was very challenging because my school has, like, 20,000 students in it. So my classes were about sometimes 500 or more kids in them. So, you know, to learn in that environment is not easy. And also, just in general, the classes I take were not easy. Um, But I ended up doing it. So I've just always had a very entrepreneurial spirit to myself. And so I guess, you know, the stars are aligning. If this is going to be just a temporary thing, that is totally fine. And I think I'm going to learn a lot from it. I already have learned so much from it, and obviously I own my own, I have my own personal brand through, like, social media, so, you know, maybe the stars are aligning for me. So that's a little bit of an update on that, in case you were wondering, or in case you follow my life and are interested in that side of me too, because I honestly, I share everything. I don't care if it's just celiac, I will share my life, I will share anything you guys want to know, just because you guys are my friends. It's like talking to my friend right now. I'm like, oh, guess what, girl? I got some tea I want to tell you. Like, that's how I feel like right now. <laughs> so we can move on to the celiac content now because I know that's why you're all here. Um, so today, well, I guess we'll take a step back. So I'm assuming if you're here, you have celiac disease or you think that you may have celiac disease. This episode is a little bit, it's geared a little bit more towards people who have already been diagnosed and have been eating the gluten-free diet for a bit of time and have noticed that their symptoms are not improving. Um, And if this is happening, I recommend that you go back to your gastro doctor. You tell them what your symptoms are and they do more tests. This is kind of what I did. So Talking about my own personal situation, I had had celiac disease for about a year and a half, and I noticed my symptoms were getting worse and worse, and I was like, what the heck is happening? Like, is this normal? I didn't know because I had no one to talk to. I had no friends with celiac disease. I didn't know anyone literally but my gastro doctor, which is a reason why I think so many people put so much faith in their doctors is because they are completely alone. They don't know anybody else with their disease. And when you know someone who knows a little bit about your disease, it gives you a sense of comfort. It gives you a sense that they're going to have all the answers of how you can heal. But again, that's not really the case when it comes to doctors because they often don't actually have a personal interest in your story and they help so many people every day. So you just become a number to them. That's why I'm so grateful that I created this community so that we don't have to depend on our doctors because a lot of the time they just give us a diagnosis and then they'll walk away from the situation and you kind of have to figure the rest out on your own. And that is exactly when I come into play. That is exactly why I'm here to help you and I'm help you to start your journey, um, figure out the middle of your journey and help you find light um, so that your diagnosis isn't your life anymore and so that you can live you know, a regular life while having celiac disease. So, again, I got diagnosed with celiac disease, and I would say about a year, year and a half later, I was still feeling sick. I was getting more sick, and I didn't really know what was happening, and no one else did either. Um, So I decided to make an appointment with my doctor again, which is something that you should regularly do. 
once you get diagnosed with celiac disease, you should regularly get, get tested, um, like your blood levels, your celiac blood panel, so that they can make sure that you're not cross-contaminating. So, for example, if you are cross-contaminating, your levels are going to go back up higher than what they previously were the last time they get tested. And if you are not cross-contaminating and you're eating a strict gluten-free diet, the next time you go to your doctors, your levels should have decreased or remain the same. Um, depending on if the same, they would remain the same if your levels were at normal levels and you were eating a gluten-free diet with no cross-contamination. If you're healing, your levels are still probably going to be elevated, but they should be coming down each time you get your blood work done. That shows that you're actually healing. Um, and again, if you were cross-contaminating yourself, your levels will be above normal and they will be higher than the last time that you got tested. So that's kind of how I explain blood work and why you should get it done about every six months. Um, except for me, I have been avoiding the doctors because I spent so many years, like for the past five years, I spent so many years in like my entire college life going in and out of doctors, like literally every week, multiple times a week. And I became so sick of going there and spending all my time there. Like I used to get infusions and sit there for three hours and get stuff injected into me and I was just so done with it so done of getting all this bad news that now like I don't even go to my physicals because I'm like I don't want to go what are you gonna do tell me I have celiac disease like because all they're gonna tell me is I gained weight my eyes are good and like I just don't want to go it's just I know I should I haven't been like a year and a half and everyone's telling they keep calling me my parents are like go and I'm like no I don't want to and then my gastro doctor just sent me a letter that I have to come in and get blood work. And I'm like, I feel great. I know I'm not cross-contaminating. I don't want to get my blood work done. Um, so if you hate the doctors, you're not alone because we spend so much time there that we don't want to go back if we feel good and there's no reason to. But you should go. I'm just being a bad person to myself maybe i don't know anyways i forgot what i was talking about again i keep forgetting where i kind of left off because i'm going on tangents as i remember things i want to say but if you go to your doctors and you get your blood tested um and your your blood levels are elevated that's kind of a sign that you're cross-contaminating and that may be a reason of why you continue to feel sick if they check that and that is good then they'll probably just do additional testing. Um, usually they test a bunch of things through your blood work. They might test allergies and do an allergy skin test, which I also had done too, but sometimes that's done before or even when you get diagnosed with celiac disease. Wow, I just saw the fattest squirrel ever. Maybe it's because the squirrels in Hawaii were like tiny, but wow, the New York squirrels are fat. Anyways, um, that's my ADHD kicking in there. <laughs> Not actually diagnosed, but I think I have it really badly. You know, maybe I should go to my primary care and talk to her about that. I don't know. <laughs> Different things that they test into me for at the doctors when I had been diagnosed with celiac disease and was continuing to feel sick was one of my main symptoms is what I kept barfing and every time I would swallow my food, it would just come right back up my esophagus. So they checked to make sure that like my throat, I forget what this is called, but as you know, your throat can be sometimes too narrow for your food to pass through. So they checked that. They made sure there was no ulcers in my stomach. Um, they did an emptying test, which is to make sure that my food is emptying correctly from my, I think it was my stomach to my small intestine. Um, 
they did another endoscopy to look at the inflammation again to see if it was coming down or if it was getting worse or remaining the same. And, you know, that's really important for the topic we're going to be discussing today. But I'll just keep going on my my thought process right now. Um, they also did a colonoscopy uh, to look at my colon, my large intestine, and the lower GI area. And they did find inflammation there, which led them to believe that I did have Crohn's disease. And that's when I got a Crohn's disease diagnosis. Um, and at that time, they didn't check my stools for anything. Um, but they ended up about a couple months or a year later, I went to another GI doctor to get a third opinion. And she checked my stool and told me that I had SIBO, which is small bacterial intestinal overgrowth as well as E. coli. So they'll check for all those different types of things. Obviously, you might get different tests done than I got done based on your symptoms. Um, but during that, they ended up finding, you know, Crohn's disease, which was my big thing. But another thing that they... So backtracking a little bit, I said that they might do another endoscopy and you might be like, why are they going to do another endoscopy? I just had a di- I just had an endoscopy and they saw inflammation and they tested for celiac and I had celiac. So that inflammation is always going to be there. So that's not actually the case. When you have celiac disease and you're first diagnosed, your inflammation levels are going to be very high. Your small intestine, intestine is going to look very inflamed. That is all completely normal. Um, when you first get diagnosed. As you start to eat a gluten-free diet, that inflammation will start to come down because you start to consume gluten-free food. Because of that, if they go back and do an endoscopy two years later, that inflammation should look a lot different than when they first went in. Um, Obviously, if they take a biopsy, your results are still going to come back with celiac disease, but the the inside of your small intestine and your lining will look different. They should see your villi starting to regrow. It might not look so um, scalloped in the inside of your small intestine. Um, But this is when today's topic comes into play, which is refractory celiac disease. If they go back and do another endoscopy and they notice that you still have inflammation in your small intestine and that there's still scalloping and there's been no improvement, or maybe it even looks worse than when you first had your endoscopy, they may do more testing to see if you have refractory celiac disease. So let's go over what that is. So refractory celiac disease is something I have actually been tested for as well because they thought that, that they, they thought that may be the issue because I was not experiencing any dramatic change after starting to eat gluten-free. So basically it means your body or your small intestine is being unresponsive to at least 6 to 12 months of treatment on a gluten-free diet. So what they will notice when they go back and do an endoscopy is atrophy. And basically this means atrophy will occur within the villi and it means that these villi or the finger-like part of your small intestine will shrink and be shriveled. And that is very common when you first get diagnosed with celiac disease. They will notice that. But again, as you start to heal, those should start to regrow. So if they go back in and see that atrophy, that's a huge sign that you could have refractory celiac disease. Now, maybe you have been eating gluten-free for 12 months 
and you're not feeling better and now you're getting nervous like oh I could have refractory celiac disease um it is not super super common it's only about one to two percent of people with celiac disease that develop refractory celiac disease and it's a very specific population kind of just to put this into more simpler terms again refractory celiac disease just means that your di- your body will not heal from celiac disease by consuming a gluten-free diet. It basically means there is no treatment for your celiac disease and that you can eat gluten-free and your body's not going to heal. So in English terms, that's what refractory celiac is. Now going more into the specifics of who would most most likely get refractory celiac disease and the people that they have seen have refractory celiac disease it's usually found in patients who are older so usually older than 50 years old who got diagnosed with celiac disease later in their life because that means that they've been consuming gluten for 50 years and they never knew they had the disease so they're getting diagnosed much much later and there has been significant damage to their small intestine because they have been consuming gluten for so long and going undiagnosed without treatment but that being said it is impossible um, to predict who will get this there's nothing they can do um, you know as in our age like maybe 18 to I don't know 30 years old they can't like test for refractory celiac disease it's just something that you know you either have or you don't have and they can't predict who will have it but there has been many tests done and they almost never see refractory celiac disease within children um and it's not as common in teenagers or people in their you know mid-20s as well either but again you know there can be cases where it does occur So that's why my doctor did test me because he has seen it in people my age. And at the time, he actually tested me for it this year, um, 2022. So I'm 22 years old. So he said, you know, I could have had it. I didn't. But um, how they tested that too is they went in again, did the endoscopy, took another biopsy, tested those as well. So he said it would be very rare, but it could be a possibility and you need to rule out all possibilities. So if you're still not feeling better after eating a gluten-free diet, you know, your doctor will probably check you for this as well just to check it off the list in case. Now say, you know, you've gone through all your options and you do think that this could be a possibility and that you could be experiencing refractory celiac disease. Um, basically, if you are experiencing this, Um, the signs are that your symptoms are the same as when you started eating a gluten-free diet or that they've even worsened. Um, usually your symptoms will be really severe and almost disabling. Um, like picture when you consume gluten on accident and you get really sick, that would be your symptoms all the time, even though you are eating gluten-free, which less people who have this because that sounds absolutely life disabling and very scary (laughs) I I can imagine if I were well it's funny because I say I can't imagine but when I first got diagnosed I was literally that sick all the time so to live my entire life like that I'm not sure that I would be able to do that which sounds a bit scary so I really feel for these people who have refractory celiac disease 
The most common symptoms that people experience with refractory celiac disease are weight loss, diarrhea, abdominal pain, malnutrition, and anemia. And again, these are very similar to symptoms that people already experience with celiac disease. Um, But usually people will only experience these symptoms when they get gluten or when they're first diagnosed and they're not consuming gluten-free. And then as you start to eat gluten-free, these symptoms will disappear or get better. Um, And that's not the case for people who have refractory celiac. Again, they will do an endoscopy and this endoscopy, if you had refractory celiac, will reveal information. (laughs) I meant inflammation, not information. Well, it will reveal information as well, but it it will reveal inflammation and ulceration of the small intestines. So in people who have celiac disease that heals through a gluten-free diet, your T-cells will recognize gluten and they multiply when gluten is removed from your diet. Um, And these T-cells become inactive and intestinal damage heals. In refractory celiac disease, these T-cells are activated without the presence of gluten. So removing gluten and eating a gluten-free diet does not deactivate these T-cells. And intestinal injury prevents even though gluten is removed and, you know, you're doing everything you can to heal. So that's kind of like the scientific explanation behind refractory celiac disease. So when they diagnose you with this, they will do an endoscopy, but they will also do a colonoscopy um, just to make sure that, you know, they're ruling out all possible things that could be wrong because again refractory celiac disease is not like a long shot but it's also not the most common so they need to be 100% positive that this is the correct diagnosis before they give you a diagnosis as difficult as that because let's be real if someone came up to me and said you have refractory celiac disease that means you can't do anything to heal you know what you're going through that's a really tough diagnosis to deal with. Um, So if you're experiencing that and you've been diagnosed with that, I really, I really do feel for you. During these endoscopies and colonoscopies, they will take more biopsies, which I told you um, previously that they also did for me. And they will put these under a microscope to examine um, the properties of them as well. Now, if you think you might have celiac, refractory celiac disease, um, there are different therapies that they have tried and saw some work and they've well, these are the ones that they have seen some success with. There are not huge success stories with these treatments, but they have seen some, and some is better than nothing, right? So the first is called an elemental diet. Basically, this means that somebody would be on an all-liquid diet that consists of nutrients um, that require no digestion. So going into more detail on what this is, it's an It's a liquid meal replacement that offers um, complete nutritional benefits because everything is broken down into its most elemental form and then you're just absorbing that in your upper GI area, meaning your protein, your fats, and your carbs um, through your upper digestive tract. And because this liquid diet only provides the necessary building blocks through this liquid that you are consuming 
Um, it's easily absorbed in your small intestine and it allows your digestive tract to rest and recover from serious illness and injury. So how do you consume this liquid? It can either come in a powder that you mix with water um, and you can take it orally or it can be entered through a tube, which I know sounds scary, but it's, it's good that there are options for people who do have refractory celiac disease. And I know this might sound like a really difficult, you know, plan of action, but the reason this diet is used is because the resting of your digestive tract from actually consuming food and that's like real food is really difficult to digest and that can cause inflammation in your stomach and flare-ups. Um, but this all-liquid diet is is exactly what you need to calm your inflammation um, and calm your flare-ups and it can prevent your autoimmune reactions when it comes to food. And it starves overgrown gut bacteria, again, allowing everything to kind of heal itself up and remove and eliminate those symptoms that you're experiencing. There's a bunch of digestive issues that this diet is used for. It's used for Crohn's disease, colitis, chronic pancreatitis, esophagitis. Oh, I always have a difficult one. Difficult time saying this. Here goes nothing. We're going to take it slow. Eosinophilic esophagitis. Eosinophil <laughs> eosinophilic esophagitis. There we go. <laughs> Refractory celiac disease, arthritis, IBS, um, different food allergies and intolerances, and SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things other than refractory celiac disease that this diet is also used for. Um, a little bit different from this, another treatment is parental nutrition, which is an intravenous injection that you would get in your veins. So you would get your nutrients and your minerals and your vitamins administered um, in an injection through your veins. So again, this is to allow for that decrease in a digestion from consuming actual food. And this again, is similar to the elemental diet um, in a way that you would getting your you would be getting your protein, your carbs, your fats, and your minerals and electrolytes and vitamins um, through a feeding tube formula. Or you would take, again, this formula by mouth to maintain, you know, nutritional status. And I'm not going to lie, like, thinking of these therapies, it really does sound really difficult to get diagnosed with and deal with these. So I really hope that if this is the case and that you do have refractory celiac disease, um, I really feel for you. And I know that this is not like an easy course of action, but it's really important to keep a positive mind and know and be grateful that there are some therapies um, for refractory celiac disease. And there are a couple others. Another ones are immunosuppressant drugs, chemotherapy, and steroid therapy. Um, but when it comes to steroid therapy, the effects of steroids are on refractory celiac disease are short-lived. So it seems like the first two are the best course of action, and then the last three are what is used if the first two don't work. So I hope now that you've listened to this podcast, you have a little bit more insight um, on refractory celiac disease because you probably or maybe have heard of it before and was curious of 
what it was and what the severity of it was. And as you can tell, it is a very serious diagnosis to get, um, you know, told that you do have. So if you've been eating gluten-free and you are not experiencing any relief in consuming gluten-free, I really do advocate that you go back to the doctors and get a second opinion, have them do more testing. Um, I'm sure they'll test for and look for refractory celiac disease within those tests. But it's really important, even as someone with celiac disease, just to know what refractory celiac is so that you can go around and spread the message um, of accurate information of what the disease is so that you're just more knowledgeable in general about your own diagnosis and about what what of what could have been if the gluten-free diet didn't work. As always, I would love if you could subscribe to my podcast so that you'll get weekly updates of the new podcasts that come out. I'm trying to release one every Monday in 2023, um, but obviously sometimes that isn't always the case. So just keep an eye um, on my Instagram at eat.glutenfreewithme for updates of when new podcasts are released. Or you can give me a follow on TikTok at eatglutenfreewithme. Um, I always post on both of there when I have a new podcast release. So I love you all and I will talk to you soon.